0: What's up, Jay Browns Live from Brooklyn, New York and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bask. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal.
1: Dude, the magazine is finished. Done. Issue four, sent off to the printer, locked down, printed, in the books. Should be the proof should be here like within a week or so, week and a half, I'd say.
0: That is and, so exciting!
1: Yeah, could not be more psyched. Thank you for you've been copy editing it for the last couple of days with Thomas.
0: Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. It gave me a chance to sit down and read the whole thing, and uh, readers, you are in for a treat because it is a fantastic magazine. Uh, about one hundred and fifty pages of pure wrestling love. Some great photographs from Japan. John, what else is in there?
1: Yeah, the the issue's subtitled uh, Tokyo Pro-Wrestle Dreamland and features a hundred-plus page article on my trip to Wrestle Kingdom at the start of this year with our friend Thomas, who also wrote an article for the magazine. And uh, yeah, I just could not be more excited to get this out into the world. I got in celebration. I'm wearing my New Japan ring-worn ref T-shirt. I don't know which ref wore the shirt. Is it red shoes? I would hope that that's who wore it. Maybe Marty Asami. Uh, probably not. I would say red shoes, maybe because he and I are more of a similar frame than me and Marty Asami. Oh, so. interesting.
0: <laughs> that's some Sherlock Holmes deduction work.
1: Yeah, it's like every every single day there was something new to be excited about. By far, my favorite like experience was going to Todokan shop, which is where I got the shirt that I'm wearing today. And... Just going through the archives there was a completely surreal and, I don't know, one of the the greatest experiences I've ever had. It's like if you could go to a museum of a thing that you loved, but then you could also afford to buy things (laughs) at that museum, that's what Totokan shop is. What Uh,
0: uh, kind of stuff did you pick up at the Totokan shop?
1: Uh, on my shelf to the left is a 13-inch Jushin Thunder Liger scale model that I still have to put together. But that probably <laughs> is my favorite item that I found there. Uh, is gigantic, it like a model
0: airplane that you have to put? It's together? like a
1: model, an actual model kit. Yeah, that's like a pretty popular part of um, like early Japanese wrestling figures is model kits. That's there's awesome. like cool Bull Bull Nakano model kits, Antonio Noki model kits. There's a lot of there's a lot of model kits for early. Japanese wrestlers and they all look great and come in like cool, like boxes. Uh, the packaging on them is real sick. Yeah. Uh, just going through that shop was really surreal. And just being in Tokyo for the first time, basically thanks to pro wrestling was such a great experience. And one of the main reasons, the main reason that I pulled the trigger and decided to go last year was because the storyline that was culminating, was the, Tetsuya Naito's Double Gold Dash and his quest for glory, which also today, the morning that we're recording this, New Japan is back in action, which is so cool and so exciting. Uh, but yeah, the Double Gold Dash, just watching it over the past like, couple of years was such a satisfying story in a way that I don't know that many other forms of media can tell the story that was told With Naito becoming champion, like going all the way back to, I was going to say going all the way back to Wrestle Kingdom 12, which is where he lost to Okada in the main event, Uh, but even going further back to Wrestle Kingdom 8, where his match was downvoted by the fans to not be the main event match, and the Intercontinental title held the main event spot for that.
0: So are you actually, are the fans actually able to downvote a match? Is that, is there some sort of wrestling democracy
1: (laughs) in Japan? That was just something weird New Japan did that for Wrestle Kingdom 8. Uh due so to that, fan, you know, request or whatever. Yeah, uh the the match that headlined was uh, Nakamura versus Tanahashi. It's been I feel like but the fans of New Japan and myself included, Naito has been a fan favorite. If you go to a New Japan show, everyone's wearing LIJ gear more so than like seeing like Okada shirts, but from the company's perspective, you would think that it Okada is the is the guy, and he is the guy. Uh, but yeah, seeing the storyline of Naito kind of achieving greatness, securing his win at the Double Gold Dash. For the uninitiated, what is the Double Gold Dash? What does that mean? So it's a storyline that started happening like mid last year. This bit it's been Naito's story this whole time. Uh, he has had there was a there was a moment where like Okada was on an extremely long title reign with the iwgp heavyweight title Mm -hmm. so naito had that intercontinental title and within that time period he didn't care about the intercontinental title he looked down upon it even though he was like he was holding the title he just didn't care uh and you know because everyone wants the iwgp heavyweight title which is what okada held So he started saying, I don't remember exactly when he started saying this, but he was the first of the four people, a part of this storyline which was named the Double Gold Dash, who started saying he wanted to be the first New Japan double champion, meaning he would hold the Intercontinental Title and the IWGP Heavyweight Title, and for the first time ever in New Japan history, in New Japan's history, yeah, first time that this was going to happen uh, within the history of the company and. He is the first person to do that. And over the last year, people were added to that story. Like the second, as like, oh, this is the story moving forward. The second Kota Ibushi, I think it was just after the G1 where he said, I'm going to be double champion at Wrestle Kingdom. But it just seemed to me from watching it so closely and being so into Naito's storyline that it's like, okay, well, we'll have him start saying that. And then Jay White started saying that too. And then, and then I was like, well, the three of them, Okada Okada never said that. Okada kind of was just like, yeah, I'm the IWGP heavyweight champion. I don't really care about the Intercontinental title. I don't need right. to be the double champion because I am the champion, basically. So the Double Gold Dash, to put it simply, more brief, uh, was a storyline between Switchblade J. White, Kota Ibushi, Tatsuya Naito, and the Rainmaker, Kazutsuka Okada, over the last like maybe... Six months from midsummer 2019 to January 2020, where at Russell Kingdom, there was a double main event. Night one, Naito fights Jay White and Okada fights Ibushi. Okada wins, retains the title. Naito wins, beats Jay White. Which was a pretty big deal because all of last year, Jay White kept... Predicting things and they kept coming true. Right, it was, was like,
0: like me and in my intercontinental article. Everything he said <laughs> would come true. Everything I said would come true.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, totally. Yeah, it's like I and being there for Wrestle Kingdom both of these nights. Like I kept joking to you and Thomas that I was going to stop watching New Japan if Naito didn't win this weekend, which was kind of a joke, but also like a half truth. Where it's like this is naito's story like sure things can change and like maybe the longer story gato would have told us would have been just as satisfying but then on night two it set up okada versus naito and with it the match is so good it was my favorite match of wrestle kingdom this year i know a lot of people are very high on the ibushi okada match which also incredible match loved that match it just didn't tell the story that the naito match did and for me as a professional wrestling fan I feel like I care most about story more so than maybe work rate. I don't know how you feel, Mark. I was just thinking
0: about how spoiled you can be as a new Japan viewer where you're like, if I don't get the perfect conclusion to this story, that's been playing out for four (laughs) years, I'm out. Whereas on WWE, like Vince McMahon literally throws out the script like every Friday for SmackDown. So they can't do any long-term storytelling it's just basically based on the whims of one crazy billionaire octogenarian <laughs> so it's just it's just really cool and for me uh my favorite wrestling story of 2019 uh is actually a little bit of a zoom out on this which is just you watching this whole story play out <laughs> like i remember you talking about this during the G1 and you were certain that Naito was going to win the G1. Oh, I was livid because yeah, that I was so s- mad he didn't win. That would have yeah. very easily set up if he had won the G1, he's uh number one contender to the IWGP heavyweight title which Okada's holding, so then they could have done a, you know, a one-on-one winner take all the belts. And Okada almost would have been an interesting choice to win because he like you said he's the only one who didn't talk about how he wanted them both. So he would have just right. it would have just been another feather in his cap, solidifying him as perhaps the greatest. You know, NJPW wrestler. In New Japan history. So, I remember you watching that. I remember you saying, if Naito does not (laughs) win (laughs) both titles, you were done with wrestling and you did not. Or you're done with New Japan and you did not sound like you were kidding at the
1: time. Um, So. I think I probably would have taken a break had I traveled all the way to Tokyo. I mean, I was excited about professional wrestling that whole weekend. The whole trip was that. So, anyways, just, just,
0: just imagine what's going on here, which is that the booker of new Japan Gato is, is crafting this magnificent story of four years. And John is got his finger on the pulse. Like he's like, I get what you're telling me. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> and so you're watching it. You're like, how is this going to play out? He did not win the G1. Who ended up winning g Oh, um, Ibushi won Jay the what? G1, but then they oh, yeah, changed Ibushi. wrestle kingdom 14 to a two night, uh, event. Therefore the IWGP and the intercontinental title would be defended twice and so uh, the first night there like you said it was Ibushi Okada and uh, Naito J. White uh, for the Intercontinental and then the final night it was the the two winners uh, Okada and Naito and so this match happens John talks about it beautifully in the article Uh, we're not doing it justice here just kind of this whole weekend to Japan at Wrestle Kingdom night two John and Thomas are watching this match Naito defeats the stalwart njbw champion okada and the next cut on this on this new japan feed goes directly from this pinfall to who in the crowd but john and thomas hugging screaming (laughs) it's incredible what an incredible ending to this story not even gato could have predicted how much you would love this
1: and how much it meant to me. Yeah, there's not a, there the only in within the article the only other thing I could think to compare it to, was David Lynch returning to Twin Peaks <laughs> and specifically Dale Cooper's character within Twin Peaks. Like I loved Twin Peaks. I've loved Twin Peaks for a while, and just before it, what David Lynch was considering doing a new season. Just con- constantly postulated with my little brother what where the story went after season two. And maybe, even, and we'd even go as far as like going back to, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of Twin Peaks, but uh, just going back to like before he kind of left the show and thinking about where it might have gone had he not done that, and then he came back. But anyways, within Twin Peaks, for those who don't, maybe aren't familiar with Twin Peaks, there's this great character, Special Agent Dale Cooper, early 90s, he's ripping it up in the FBI, show goes uh, You away. might have
0: heard, uh, that's a damn fine cup
1: of coffee exactly <laughs> sorry that way. was my perfect dale cooper impression It's <laughs> <laughs> spot on i likes, closed my eyes and i seen dale cooper well you should have been talking into recorder with that uh that impression we're um, gonna start
0: doing the, uh, the the audio drops on here so i'll just drop in dale cooper being <laughs> like
1: this is excuse me a damn fine cup of coffee but for like two two decades this character's just been sort of in limbo and then we come back to this third season of Twin Peaks, and he's still in limbo because he's not himself. But then, right at the end of the series, Cooper is no longer Dougie, and he's Cooper.
0: <laughs> you jumped and a whole thing there about Dougie. I don't, I'm nobody... not getting...
1: Yeah, I don't care. Whoever is <laughs> listening to this that likes Twin Peaks will understand this analogy, and anyone else just can understand that it's Everyone about this Everyone else can like, just go long... screw, basically. <laughs> Decades-long nuanced story with so many details that there's really, it's the only way to compare it to something else would be to compare it to something like David Lynch returned to Twin Peaks. Right. That was able to play out over so many years. Yeah. Like, how do you like, there's not like really like a movie character or like a TV show character in that way that I feel like carries the same sort of like nuanced weight where it's like, sure. There's like long-term stories you could be watching in like, in like a movie or like a TV show over the years, but the satisfying sort of like he finally did it. There was this one moment where it made sense for Naito to win, and he wins. And even just the 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 nuanced references within the actual match that he has with Okada, like when he went up for this uh, Stardust press in Wrestle Kingdom fourteen, and he hit it and then didn't pin Okada. When I was there, I was like, I don't. I think he might. I don't know. Maybe he's not gonna win. Like my heart, like sunk when that happened. <laughs> Cause the last time, and like I and what at, would your life there, even
0: be like right now if if Okuma I know? Had we totally. We
1: might not. We wouldn't have this podcast. I don't think. Oh, absolutely um, not. But so, because in Wrestle Kingdom twelve, Naito misses it, and that's sort of the inciting incident to end the match. That ends the match and leads to Naito losing. Two years later, Wrestle Kingdom fourteen, me and Thomas are there. Hits the Stardust press, doesn't hit the pinfall. Does some more back and forth with. Okada to ultimately hit the Destino for the one, two, three, and then becomes double champion.
0: Well, I mean, there's... If I may, there's no other way to end this story except with the Destino because you have the greatest commentator in the world, Kevin Kelly, who's gonna obviously... Can, can we get an impression of, of the Kevin Kelly call?
1: I don't know if I can do it justice.
0: Um, if, I have to, like... I would have to back away from the mic when it's like, Destino!
1: That was pretty good. No, it was no good. It was trash. (laughs) But yeah, it's just like walking, walking away from that and seeing that the storytelling—it's just like insane that there is a booker and a wrestling promotion that is able to tell such intelligent, well thought out, well planned stories over such long periods of time. It's really, really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of stories that have been playing out over a long period of time, although not necessarily under the same booker, um, we have the story of the eventual clash between FTR and the Young Bucks on AEW Dynamite. Yeah, that is
1: a good comparison. That's definitely one that's been cooking for a while. New Japan is back. Within the New Japan Cup brackets for this year, the way that I have it set up is Sonata would go through and face many of his faction members. In the first round, he would beat Taguchi, Shingo beats Sho, and then Sonata and Shingo face off with Sonata winning, and then the finals being Hiromu versus Sonata, which would be a really, really insane match. Also, maybe it'll just be a surprise and it won't, it doesn't have to tie to any of the existing storylines. Man, I know, I'm so excited that New Japan is back. Just thinking about all the other people that are in New Japan too, it's crazy.
0: No matter who wins this tournament, no matter if the story plays out or a new one, one thing is for certain, there is going to be a lot of really great matches, and we will try to uh, recommend some of them as they come up. For those who maybe have not watched New Japan yet, but who are looking to dip Dip some toes yeah, in, absolutely. so we'll make
1: some recommendations. In general, though, with the New Japan Cup, I I true, genuinely don't care who wins the New Japan Cup right now. Um, and I would like to, I would be cool to see whoever win the New Japan Cup. I don't know, kind of just it's crazy to think just the the amount of wrestlers that exist in New Japan, the amount of people that could be champion. It's similar to what AEW has done over this past year, year and a half of signing people, building people up, and then. Getting to a point where like any a lot of the people that have that could challenge for the belts right now, I feel like I would be fine if they won. I don't know how you feel about that, but like...
0: well, I just think it's cool that they are doing such a good job setting up both a storylines, but also b storylines with a lot of wrestlers. You know, um, it's like didn't Darby Allen recently say he was going to get his revenge on uh, Brian Cage because of what Cage did to him in the uh, Casino Ladder Match?
1: Yeah, so, totally. Then and that's Cage, just a secondary. That's like a far tertiary storyline. Yeah, line. that's like
0: after Cage, if he loses to Moxley, that's like his next storyline. So it's like they're always planting these little seeds. You know, WWE tends to jump the gun on everything. They they tell these stories very slowly. Like the breakup of of Hangman and Kenny has been teased for months, right?
1: Yeah, it might not happen. It for might not a while even still. happen, um, or for at least a while. Yeah,
0: they're always they're telling a lot of stories. They're playing this kind of game of chess and I love seeing how it plays out. And the one, like I mentioned before that I'm the most excited about right now is the eventual collision between FTR and the young bucks, because there's been so much confusion between, do these guys have animosity outside the ring? Do they respect each other uh, inside the ring? Like do FTR actually think the young bucks are just spot monkeys? Do they actually not think that they'll have a great match with them? Or do they think this is our dream competitors and, and, you, you can't really tell, and the story they're telling is very interesting.
1: Well, and at the moment they're kind of defending the Young Bucks. Like, but at the... they're
0: defending the Young Bucks, so basically FTR and Butcher in the Blade had a great match. Um, opening match, one of the best TV matches of the year, in my opinion. No frills, just great wrestling between these two kind of bruiser tag teams. And then afterwards, the Young Bucks enter, and they're going to get hit by Butcher in the Blade once again, and then uh, FTR once again defends them from the Butchering the Blade, saying that they don't want them to be injured whatsoever when they fight FTR. They want them to be at the top of their game because they they want to show they how They want much... to be the ones that show they're better than
1: Young Bucks. Totally. Yeah, they're going to yeah. beat them in like five minutes. Dude, Butcher and Blade versus FTR was so good. I rewatched that match. It's been... I, this year I have not watched rewatched a Dynamite yet, yeah. and this was the first Dynamite that I actually rewatched. For no reason, just because I wanted to re-watch it. And I thought it was great. Um, yeah, there's a really funny moment on commentary in that match where Jericho says something about the Butcher being a great rock and roll guitar player. And, and then
0: like, JR... You know direction? that, Jim
1: Ross? Yeah, and then Jim Ross just so glumly says he's a bass player. Like, <laughs> it's... <laughs> he's actually a bass player (laughs) it was a really really funny moment on commentary like i like it seemed like just like because jericho is so good because he keeps he throws out just like definitive statements that aren't necessarily maybe aren't always true or like not they're like inflammatory kind of and then like commentary deals with them it's why he's great on commentary and he is
0: absolutely in peak form on commentary he's like a great who does he remind me of um I don't know if it's Jesse the Body Ventura or
1: He is like yeah like macho man like it's like there's a it, when like the characters of the 90s like Jesse Ventura I think Jesse Ventura is a better comparison than macho man like just but the still, way But still just like a larger than life character
0: who like just huge comes character on the on mic commentary. and just is screaming everything. Jericho <laughs> killed it. Like I I laughed so much in this episode. I know I have things written down. I don't have anything written down for this match, but this match was full of like great big moves. There was a moment where Wheeler Uh, Cash Wheeler countered the leapfrog into a power slam. There was just like this huge brain buster around the end of the match. Dax, uh, has butcher blade up for the superplex tags. Cash does the superplex and then cash hits the big splash from half the, half the ring length away. Such a cool move. They just were working in synchronicity. The moves were heavy. You know, the, the match had time to breathe, but it was never slow. Uh, ended with a uh, stuffed pile driver, which is now called the Mind Breaker. That's such a there's
1: such a good name. Firing on all cylinders with all these finisher names. I love that finisher name. Yeah, absolutely. There's another good. Oh, Good Night Express was another. They do that on the. There's a there's a great still that AEW posted to Instagram of the FTR doing that move to to Butcher, and they kind of have to pick him up. Like horizontally, and Butcher is such a big guy, so it's crazy that they can do that move on him totally so smoothly. That I know I love that match. What do you, in terms of like the tag, the directions of the tag division, who do you actually think is going to be the next tag champs? And by that, I mean, how soon do you think the Butcher and the Blade will be holding the tag titles? <laughs> I think you're have gonna be upset. one of my favorites. I think you're gonna be upset
0: <laughs> at how long it's gonna take the Butcher. I think Butcher <laughs> and the Blade are enhancement talent. Uh, as good as they are, they're. I think they're there to make other people look good. Um, and I'm very sorry. I can see this, just the joy draining off your face as you <laughs> say that. Um, well, the end of this match was weird. I loved the match, but I did not like the sort of after-match shenanigans. The Young Bucks come to the ring and also. Yeah,
1: Super Bad Death Squad. Super Bad Death Squad came to the ring. They're all just kind of standing there. It's a weird moment. There's a couple moments throughout this show that. Maybe I think it was a show too, where there was like brawling, but it seemed kind of too pl- like planned brawling instead of like all hell is breaking loose. Every all the tag divisions pouring out and they're ready to fight each other. Yeah, because it almost seemed because kind of, like the the faces cleared the ring, then we ended up with the Bucks, FTR, Hangman, and uh, Kenny in ring, and then Butcher, Blade, Super Bad Death Squad <clears throat> on the outside of the ring. And they were kind of just looking at each other like, what do we do next? And there was one moment that I liked <clears throat> with them in-ring. I don't know if you noticed this while we are watching. I don't think we called attention to it while we were watching it together. Where um, FTR, I, I don't know, uh, one, of, one of the dudes in FTR is yelling at Hangman and like poking him in the chest. Mm-hmm. Telling him that he needs to get his shit together. <laughs> so I, I wonder if that's like going to lead to, like I wonder if FTR is going to be next in line for the titles. They win. And Hangman defects and starts a faction with FTR.
0: Oh my God.
1: And Hangman maybe is the cause of the loss as well. Like it's like a double. uh, uh, Oh, wow. Turn.
0: I don't know. But that actually sounds a lot like my prediction for another storyline, which is that it seems like they're teasing that Sammy Guevara is going to leave uh, the inner circle because Matt Hardy keeps kind of,
1: Yeah, it seems like Hardy's trying to start, like, a faction. That's sort of the... seems like Hardy's trying to start a faction
0: with Private Party. Private Party and Sammy, maybe. Sammy
1: Guevara. That was the other moment. Was that in this week's show where Matt Hardy comes out with Private Party in a chair? I think it was in this show. But that moment, too, seemed kind of weird because, like, Private Party kind of go around someone to, like, then do the chair shot. But it's, like, a back chair shot, so it seems very, like, kind of staged... Staged in such a straight not in a way that was like, okay, we've come out now and we need to do this spot where we're gonna hit you with a chair. So get in position, right? It didn't feel chaotic in the way that a lot of those moments normally feel. Uh, that might have been last week, actually. I think th- I'm. I'm th- I think that was last week. Uh, then there was the post match promo with Natural Nightmares. Okay, this whole convoluted. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the lengths that AEW is going to explain why. Uh, natural nightmares are getting just, a title shot i don't know like they should just like if they're gonna i'm glad that that's happening on tv and not fighter fest and best that's Friends. that's absolutely like, the big, what big i feel event. i'm you know what
0: listen there's a lot of tv to fill between pay-per-views let people get title shots i'm okay with that i think you know that natural nightmares are not my favorite tag team and that has nothing to do with dustin rhodes i think dustin rhodes if he was paired with like a young up and comer, like that could be a great tag team. And I love Dustin in the ring. He's so crisp. I do not give a fuck about QT Marshall. <laughs> and I don't think AW has done anything to like, make me give a fuck. I, I want to just point out a lot of the times when we don't care about these wrestlers, it's because they haven't had anything, any real stories or any real personality that, you know, is there to connect with us other than like this guy's Cody's friend, obviously. But so this story that is apparently playing out is that, um, The bunny is, what's her actual name? Allie. Allie. So Allie has uh, somewhat defected or is just not kind of with the Butcher and the Blade these days. And she's been kind of hanging out with QT. And Brandy's really not happy about this. And because he's like making out during matches or something like that. And like, Brandy's like, keep your eye on the goal, QT. I'm like, what
1: the fuck is this story? He well you haven't been watching Dark and Dark cute is built up QT a lot. QT he had a singles match on Dark that I really liked a lot. Okay. Uh, he he faced Zach Clayton. And this this whole storyline mostly has been playing out on Dark, which maybe speaks to why like there should be some sort of catch up happening on Dynamite between what's happening on Dark if everyone isn't like you're a super fan of AEW, but you are also not watching Dark weekly right he had some sick moves there was like qt did a bunch of kind of old school wrestling moves he's like a, a pretty sick like backbreaker facebuster combo he does this uh he does <laughs> i don't know how he does did this he win of, the match dude he does a handspring cutter like okay. handspring it's like a handspring that sounds awesome it was a handspring to roll over drop kick yeah it looks like something will osprey would do and okay that sounds awesome qt is doing it did he win the match I think so, yeah. So,
0: what's yes. the problem? What is, what is, everyone, why can't QT get a little bit on the side with from the bunny? Do they just not trust the bunny? There's like a moment.
1: I don't know, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's just such yeah. a weird storyline that it's like QT's getting laid. I think it's everyone's that he's like, he's like, not like distracted. Do that. The storyline is he's getting distracted by Allie. Cause, like, in that, in the match on Dark. They have Brandy get hurt. Like Brandy's on the apron. Okay. And she gets knocked off. And it looks like she falls in her hand kind of hard, actually. And then QT comes like Dustin's 10 like, Brandy, are you okay? And QT is kinda of like looking over, and then he comes out to check on Brandy to make sure she's okay. And then Allie starts screaming because she broke a nail. Yeah. <laughs> And then also on dark, a, a funny sub story. Line, I absolutely love that they keep doing this in different storylines. They Allie has designed a new Natural Nightmares t-shirt where it's QT really huge, like standing like a superhero, and then at the, it says Natural Nightmares, and then Brandy and uh, Dustin are really small in the background. Okay, well, I, that's great. Listen. I'm not like very invested in. I'm. I feel like I'm trying to sell you on QT right now. I'm not invested mm-hmm. in him, but I do think that they have done. To what to you saying that um, they haven't done anything to make you like care about him? I think they have. I just don't know that you like care about what they've done.
0: Okay, I'm him. gonna watch Dark because I'm sold on QT being an okay wrestler and being invested in him. That's fine. He is good in it's ring. This I will say storyline that I don't like it either. Is doing no, nothing yeah. <laughs> for me. I don't know. It it seems like a weirdly misogynistic storyline to me of this like fem fatal is like. Oh, distracting totally. Distracting him it's with dumb. her, like, yeah. beauty and...
1: I don't know. We'll see how it plays
0: out, but... Uh, I was
1: mostly defending his in-ring work more so than the storyline itself, and yeah. I do think that they're trying to make you care. I think it's just, like, not a good... It's, it's not a weird. good use of either of them. He's
0: just making out with her on the side. They haven't said yes. anything about why she's not with the Butcher and the Blade. Like and they keep prodding her. her
1: on Dark about that, though. And it seems like, like
0: they... Brandy is, like, jealous
1: of, like... And ultimately, Allie. and I don't think that this is what I I at first thought that this was leading to Ali kind of distracting QT turning on him, and then Butcher and the Blade become the cont- number one contenders or number two contenders because they're pretty high up in contention. But I mean, they're they're, just, not, they're not like they're not know. even within this story anymore. No, there they're was not a, in there was time there was a time where they were like la- even back to just early as last week um that they faced off and it seemed like that maybe the reason she was doing this was because of butcher and blade because T- taz and excalibur keep prompting her to explain what she's doing but i don't know we'll see where it goes it's uh, maybe it'll be over after this week and you know we don't we don't have to oh lord i hope so
0: or that has some sort of banger ending i don't know
1: yeah, maybe uh, well the match probably will be good. Maybe you'll get to see QT's sick handspring rollover drop kick tomorrow night. If it's just like tonight. if
0: if if she breaks a nail and then QT turns around and gets rolled up or something like that and then they lose, I will be very it's disappointed. really yeah, it
1: is lame. I'm with you there.
0: Sheeta and Chris Statlander versus Nyla Rose and Penelope Ford is up next. That really match good was sick. match. Um yeah. but what the the main storyline I think from this is that Chris Statlander uh, took an injury and is going to be yeah, out
1: torn ACL I think yeah. huge bummer two, two, two of their big f- women's division stars Britt and Stat both sidelined both of them I think are it's not good that that happened to them but Britt has done Britt Baker it's just done even more for her character to be rolled around and to have be in the back of like a go-kart yeah chris stat also i think could probably end up could do some like dark order ask vignette like darby vignette sort of stuff while she's injured like that's probably what they'll do
0: that would be great yeah to keep her in the story uh looks like uh penelope ford might be getting a, a shot at the title pretty soon against sheeta in, in what is certain to be an excellent match uh, ford has been really shining
1: yeah i really like what they've done with the women's division and i have Excited for Penelope versus Sheeta. She pinned Sheeta, so she'll. I'm sure she'll get the AEW's made a big deal about her pinning Sheeta, and then also like named her wrestler of the week, and it just seems like they're building up to a fighter fest match between the two of them, and uh, it it's gonna be great. It's cool to see her break out and do sort of her own thing. I feel like her and Kip both. Kip, I only knew through, I've known through AEW and have, in the same way I've grown to like Sammy, really love what Kip has been doing, especially as sort of like the valet to Penelope. He's great in-ring too, like the stuff that he did in the match with Kenny Omega last week. I
0: definitely enjoy him as her her valet a lot more than the other way around, just because it seems a little bit more like turning it on its head. Like... Yeah, it's instead not what this, you expect. Instead of this, like, sexy woman valet, you have this, like, sexy man valet. And speaking of sexy man, Jericho on commentary, I just love how much he puts over how how sexy <laughs> people are. But he's just like, look how sexy your boyfriend Kip Sabian is! How sexy is he? And then probably, you know, Tony Schiavone was probably just like, mm, yeah, you know, yeah, he's very very attractive man like
1: very level headed like dude <laughs> yeah. well and also uh, Jericho throughout this whole the commentary on this sold statlander as an alien as well like True. she she said something he and no one knew how to respond to it where he said well she's an alien jim ross different powers than human beings
0: <laughs> he's the best he's the best just keep him on commentary until it's time for his match
1: and, and yeah, then... just the way that he can so convic- v- convincingly says stuff like that is incredible. he just
0: says it with authority and then you're like, all right, I'm sold. Um, another thing, <laughs> my absolute favorite moment of the show was during the next match, Best Friends versus the Inner Circle. So Best Friends, uh, all three of them versus Santana Ortiz and Jake Hager. And um, I think it was Shivani who says uh, that uh, one of the men, I think it was Chucky E.T., he looks like a broken man on a Halifax pier. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. then Jericho's just like, Halifax! You've never even been to Halifax. Those people would eat you alive. <laughs> and that was amazing.
1: Putting over yeah. Halifax hard. Marcus from Moncton, New Brunswick. For those of you listening, I wonder the uninitiated hyped up about Halifax. I am also in the Maritimes. That Halifax is just just a quick three, and a half three hour, hour drive. Two and a half three hour drive from Moncton. I actually Depends didn't know speeding. any of these places really existed until. I started dating Siobhan, so yeah, well, that's because many you're of our a, listeners might not a know either. Vile
0: swine, American.
1: <laughs> exactly, dude. He also had he had Jerko. Like we could just go through and talk about all of Jericho's commentary for each match. It was as good as the match. Uh, he had another. He had like such a great line uh, where he said, "My fake brothers are beating up these fake best friends," uh, mm-hmm. in reference to PNP beating up Chucky T and Trent. Amazing. It's such a good line. And he Chuck- also said
0: that uh Chucky T, he's like, he's such a idiot. He doesn't even have a last name. He lost it in a poker game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was Trent, I think. Like Trent Beretta, he was talking about. Well, yeah, oh, I guess this Jericho killed that on commentary in this match, I think, more than any other match. Like, most, most of the notes about this match I wrote down are him on commentary. Like, another thing that he said that was really funny was, you know what a cannonball is? A cannonball in Spanish is Excalibur. Like, wanting Excalibur to tell him. Yeah. And Excalibur says, no, what is it? And then Jericho just exclaims, I don't know, really loudly. I don't and- know! He
0: <laughs> yeah, comes out of commentary to beat the shit out of Orange Cassidy. Brings gives a bag orange of orange Cassidy a new
1: nickname, Blood Orange Cassidy.
0: And it says Blood Orange Cassidy has just been
1: juiced. <laughs> that was awesome. So good. And then is that so? Hager is next in line. Is Hager next in line for Cody's belt? Yeah, so is this setting be fighting, this match. Yeah, uh,
0: at Fighter Fest.
1: So what was is this match setting up anything beyond this? do You think Jericho versus Orange Cassidy maybe? Because when because there was like all of the Jericho
0: versus Orange Cassidy would be a money match. People would love to see that.
1: Well, because he said like when he was calling out the world's most dangerous man a week or two ago, Orange Cassidy responded to the call back when he was promoing against yeah. Tyson.
0: And Orange Cassidy's been getting a lot of kind of star building matches against some of AEW's best. Like he fought Pac. I keep saying Pac, but it's Pac. He fought Pac,
1: Pac, X Pac, X Pac, X Pac, X Pac, X Pac, X Pac, <laughs> Pac and X Pac. They should there should be a WrestleCon Super Show where they're on the same team. Absolutely, um, the one two three kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's Jericho's match for Fighter Fest. I think. Why else would they keep throwing them all together in the way they are? Because yeah. now they're now uh, best friends are facing. Les Sex Gods, right? That's another part of the convoluted tag, number one contender title tag match. Thing. Yeah,
0: they have their number one contendership for Fighter Fest up for grabs, fighting Les Sex Gods, uh, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara this Wednesday. This Wednesday. They probably will retain the best friends and go on to be the team that fights Hangman, Adam Page, and Kenny Omega at Fighter Fest. It is looking very likely.
1: Um,. Yeah, I, I, it's what that's what should happen. I, I, uh, I mean, best friends are one of the teams that also I feel like during the COVID era really were like tearing it up. Yeah, and there frequently, so I feel like they should be the ones that kind of go on to get that featured match.
0: Looks like Sunny Kiss and Joey Janella are gonna form a tag team. I am loving putting people who are underused on Dynamite together into tag teams. I think that's a yeah. So you brought,
1: brought us the Super Bad Death Squad.
0: Absolutely. So, Sonny Kiss, who has been barely featured on AEW TV, he might be on Dark. He might have had a couple matches on Dark, but has I don't think he's been, other than in the crowd, on Dynamite at all. So, it's great to see him uh, in sort of a very well-produced promo. It's making me wonder what AEW's car budget is, because it seems like everybody's getting a car. Uh, Moxley, of <laughs> course, really cool cars, stole the yeah. Jericho one. Uh, Sonny Kiss was in like some sort of convertible. I'm, I'm, I'm missing one. But there's a lot of cars.
1: Uh, Cody's truck. Moxley's Lambo <laughs> or whatever that was. Yeah, um, uh, FTR's, FTR's is sick vintage truck. Yep.
0: There's a, what's the car Sunny budget Kiss? on this show?
1: Yeah. Well, the budget of a billionaire. The um, <laughs> budget of a billionaire. Yeah, this promo was great. And I've been waiting. Joey Janela Joey is the first wrestler that I wrote an article about for Torture Act. Uh, and one of the people, in addition to like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, that sort of brought me back to wrestling through YouTube clips. Uh, like I seen his roof fall, and I was like, "Who is this person that is jumping off of roofs into a flaming uh, into truck. a flaming barbed wire glass truck um, filled with
0: tubes? What do you yeah. call them? Light tubes. Light tubes. Uh,
1: <laughs> but yeah, he he's on him uh, back when." Uh, he and Penelope Ford were together I wrote like an article about them as the first sort of feature issue first feature article in Torture Act so I have been waiting for Joey Janela to get featured in the way he has and they've done a good job like featuring the people that like we they should have featured up front and at the start and all these like first champions are the people who should be the first champions but I cannot wait till Joey Janela holds a belt I love that he and Sunny Kiss are paired up together. They've tagged a couple times. I don't know if it's ever been on Dynamite, but they've tagged on Dark a couple times together, and they're great. Uh, yeah. Just the wild poses both of them do together are really funny. Like Joey does a lot of funny, like in ring. I don't know, just like pantomime poses. I feel like they play off of each other's energy in a really good way. Yeah, I think where... that's going
0: to be a really cool, cool tag team. Totally. We got the be great. best Mox promo in a long time. Uh, it was great seeing him mad. He yeah, was, totally. Like, shooting on Brian Cage. He's talking about how, how all this makes him train harder, hit harder, be more violent. I am one miserable son of a bitch. <laughs> Fucking awesome. And then yeah. who comes out but our boy, our boy Taz. You gotta get your head right, Moxley!
1: <laughs> Dude, I... You have to start watching Dark just for Taz alone. Like he rips through Pineapple Pete for some reason. I love that. Like through the whole match, just Just,
0: decides he doesn't like Pineapple Pete.
1: Yeah, but and that and it's I think playing into his heel character because up until then he has been a pretty even keel, like putting people over, introducing who they are and why and why we should care about them. But yeah, he goes through and says he like dresses pineapple Pete down throughout the whole match. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that the the promo he does with Brian Cage. Brian Cage also comes out. There's a moment uh, during Dark, uh, kind of circling back to Dark uh, before we get to the main event of Dynamite. Uh, The main event of Dark was John Moxley versus Robert Anthony, which is a rematch from their CZW days and another sort of match that a lot, CZW fans, I've never been a big CZW fan, super fan. I've watched matches on YouTube, seen the uh, Vice documentary that was made about it, and have caught it here and there. A lot of great matches, not just death matches, but uh, just was kind of off my radar for a while. But they, did a, they had a rematch of uh, a match that happened a decade ago where Moxley was CZW champion. He faces Robert Anthony. And retains in that match, you power bombs him through a glass table, and Robert Anthony's back gets like brutally cut up.
0: Holy shit, it's
1: insane! This match that happened on Dark was good. It was fine. Just like it was a non-title match. It was just a match between the two of them, and it was just uh, kind of a straight wrestling match. It, it wasn't. It wasn't the best match that I've ever seen Moxley have, but it was fun to watch and just. I, the reason I know that he powerbombed Robert Anthony through a glass table is because I looked up their matches and sort of was looking at the history of the two of them together, and it's cool that they're letting Moxley and different people do these sort of little blow-offs totally. like this as part of the title feud. Uh, the, o- the other thing that I wanted to mention from Dark that I feel like you should go back and watch is Jurassic, Jurassic Express versus Cutler and Avalon. You've been talking a lot about, um, I feel like throughout since we started this podcast, just the tag division and people not doing tags and not sort of like uh, appropriately following those rules or like what are the rules if there are none. And this match specifically, it's just a really good tag match. One of my favorite tag matches in AEW of the year, I would say. Like in my mind, my favorite tag matches that have happened so far in AEW this year probably would be Young Bucks versus Omega Hangman. Butcher and Blade versus FTR, Jurassic Express versus Cutler and Avalon.
0: So you're telling me that Brian Cameraman Cutler from BTE and Peter the Librarian Avalon are a tag team now and they're ripping it up on Dark. That's what you're telling they,
1: me. They are. Yeah, and they're in a feud, they're in a great long-term feud to see who can get the, the their first win first. And Marco Stunt <laughs> I love that. rips it. Marco Stunt rips it up in that match also. Um he does a lot of cool. Like I feel like he's Doing a lot of, he's, and Mar- I know Marco Stunt is someone that you were not totally excited about to begin with, but he's, I feel like, done a really good job also in like building an offense that makes sense for his size, doing a lot of like evading and then quick moves in response because he's hard to grab and hard to get hold of.
0: He doesn't bother me that much because he doesn't win very often against like bigger dudes. Um, my problem with Marco Stunt was just that I felt like he made Jurassic Express. And this doesn't make any fucking sense what I'm about to say. He made them too cartoony. And I know it's already a tag team with a, <laughs> with a dinosaur.
1: Seeing so. them all together now, though, I really like it a lot. Well, know.
0: you've sold me with the the Luciosaurus action figure with Marco Stunt and uh, Jungle Boy sitting on each of his shoulders. Uh, that needs seen, to happen. You've sold me on that. But I, I, after, just to finish up on the dynamite section there, uh, Moxley and Cage had a really cool... Uh, sort like back street fight backlot yeah. brawl yeah on, on some cars and stuff this episode of dynamite has been fantastic so far and it leads into just a great main event between cody and mark quinn mark quinn of the private party um, a tag team that has not been getting a lot of wins and it's really cool to see the standout member mark quinn be presented as a single star and be put on the same level as cody people talk a lot about cody burying uh talent but it just does not happen Really, in each of these matches that he's going to have, uh, he's been putting over this talent huge. He put over Jungle Boy huge by just letting him go toe-to-toe with him and take him to the limit last week. And the same thing happened with, Mar- with Mark Quinn this week. Uh, it was great to see that private party have a new theme as well.
1: It's definitely an improvement. Definitely Better improvement. than this is a private party and you're all invited. Or you're not invited. Whichever it was... Not, not for me.
0: Not interested in that old theme, but the new one's really cool. This match had a lot of great stuff: huge avalanche, belly to back from Cody, uh, corkscrew DDT, shooting star press over the top rope that uh, Mark Quinn hit on Cody outside the ring. Just uh, some amazing stuff here. The
1: whole match was really awesome. Yeah, it was. I felt to me. Not necessi- I don't want to say a make or break moment, but just like a, this is a moment for Mark Quinn to step out and sort of like establish himself himself as someone that is not just like a tag person. part he of But part of a amazing. losing
0: tag team also. Yeah, uh, like but,
1: a, a singles star. And I know a lot of, I've read a lot of things like kind of championing Mark Quinn and his abilities and it really, like he really came through in this match. It was really I would put fun. Mark
0: Quinn on that list of the young stars like we always talk about Darby Allin, um, totally yeah sammy
1: kip yeah it's a whole like yeah bubbling like upper mid card soon to be like main event talent in the neck in like three two three years like yeah or sooner uh yeah this match was great
0: one of my favorite dynamites of the year um anyone who's looking to dive in on an episode i felt like all the characters really came through for me um I was e- there. I, I don't remember when this happened, but there was even a Dark Order. Oh, yeah, the Dark Order came out after Cole Cabana lost his match, and Brody Lee was there, and finally, Evil Ono and Stu Grayson were together. Um, It worked for me. Like, they right, were all I forgot they about that. I knew that there was a moment. To, I like that a court. lot.
1: I, yeah, it's a good, it's a good to bring that up, actually, just because, like, if you and I both. Uh, have not been the biggest fans of Dark Order, I feel like they're coming together. It's cool to see uh, Uno uh, and Stu Grayson with Brody. They feel like a strong faction. They, it's what they needed. They needed Brody and Stu Stu Grayson and Uno together.
0: And just to come out all together and just be like, you know, we will help you at his lowest moment after this loss.
1: Um. And that's that happened on Dark as well. A uh, performer named Lee Johnson fights number five and the match was cool and they watched on and brody like the the sort of underlings of dark order are watching and then at the end of the match brody comes out and tells him to finish the job and then he does and then he wins so it seems sort of like what you were saying where it's like we need to see these wins we need to see dark order getting people wins totally and that proving their salt yeah totally <laughs> yeah and that i think cult cabana to dark order would be a good idea. Like he's kind of great. Cause
0: he's like, a, he's, he's already kind of his own thing. I think he would bring his own unique wrestling ability to dark order. They seem a little interchangeable at the moment. And I think that's just how they're being presented, but someone like cult who's so kind of recognizable in his like body frame and like the way he does moves, it would be cool to see how he would meld into the dark
1: order. And he's so different. He's not like dark or spooky. He's like no, a journeyman, exactly. positive wrestler like very happy very like very uh excited to be in wrestling so it would be cool to see him sort of maybe develop a chip on his shoulder yeah be winning be winning matches through the dark orders guidance him and brody together is not something i would have thought of but they would be a cool tag team also like give yeah. brody like a uh a, a solid so, sort of number 2 outside of the tag team uno and grayson
0: i love this idea of like the tag teams you know, being solid, but also being able to compete as single performers like Trent uh, getting yeah. some, some great matches and now Mark Quinn doing single stuff. Because the tag team roster is so huge uh, at the moment that if you could only be a tag team, some of these people would be buried for a while while other tag teams were sort of getting the rub. So it's cool that they're able to sort of break out and, and sort of do their own things. And like like you said, it it makes everyone seem like a main event star whereas in WWE they all all the tag teams seem like interchangeable
1: mid-carders. Yeah, they're not it's they don't matter really and it's not like oh I wonder if he's going to win. It's like he's definitely not going to win, so can this either hopefully this match is fun to watch or forget it. Whereas in yeah, AEW there's a lot of a lot of potential for a lot of different people. There's like literally like 5 years of people to be champion right now without adding anyone to the roster. And we it's... need to get through like Lance Archer, Pac, like all these, Kenny Omega, like all yeah. three of them should hold the world heavyweight title. It's really
0: exciting to see how this is going to play out. It also means that the mid-card title, the TNT title is going to be a really prestigious belt to hold because we might very well see uh, Pack coming back to challenge for that. Pac versus Cody, that would be a great match.
1: That would be a cool first match back for him. Yeah, Even have him come in and win. Maybe Lucha Bros could be tag champs at that point. Death Triangle Maybe holding not. the belts.
0: What is really unfortunate is that this Dynamite that we watched uh, back on Wednesday is kind of foggy in my mind, whereas crystal clear in my mind is the WWE Backlash show that we watched last night. Which was just last night. Uh, I have no energy to go through uh, the mid card. Oh
1: yeah, I don't. I don't think. I did, I think that that wouldn't be a productive use of our time, anyways. Overall, my I I don't know. Overall, up up until probably halfway through, Randy Orton versus Edge, I basically was questioning why we we both were besting each other, but we were both questioned there like why are we still watching? Why do we these still watch this?
0: and it's so funny because John like actually pitched not very long ago, uh, watching like all the Raws and Smackdowns, and I think just this pay per view package card, uh, like totally dispelled that notion because we got to see all the stories leading up to some of this stuff like uh, the Jeff Hardy and Seamus like Jeff Hardy's really tasteless um, sort of alcohol abuse drug use DIY very hard to watch that very hard to watch Um, watching them just bury Asuka like versus Nia Jax she didn't they got double count out she's got a, a visible pinfall already from I can't remember who it was if it was Charlotte they're just they're burying Asuka even though she is the Women's Champion. Champ. They're just they're not letting her have any wins. It's like tough to see Braun Strowman in another handicap, handicap. match versus Miz and Morrison. We had to sit through a very cringeworthy Miz and Morrison music video that went on for way too long. Finally, there was Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley, which was actually up to that point easily. That was matching. a cool match. I, I that match.
1: I love that match and the match that happened on SmackDown: AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan. Oh which... my god was an incredible match. Like I I can't think in my mind I can't think of another wrestling match that has happened in WWE over the last couple of years that I like as much as that match. Well,
0: certainly on TV. Like that's yeah. been the best TV match that they've had. This should have been on the Backlash card. We've talked about it uh, quite a bit. We're pretty sure that they put this match on SmackDown because if they hadn't, it would have been better than the Randy Orton Edge match, which they've already built as the greatest wrestling match ever, so you can't very well having a better match on that same card. That is going to be so obvious. But uh, I will
1: say, like during that Intercontinental Title match too, like commentary was not as annoying as they normally are. Like they built up the importance and prestige of the Intercontinental Championship, talking about how Ric Flair, The Rock, HBK, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Pat Patterson, all have held it. Its importance, why it matters. Uh, and then you know AJ Styles wins that match. Very highly recommend that match. Very much worth watching.
0: Very much do not recommend the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders, which turned into a
1: weird Saturday. That was the match cartoon. that I was like, "Do I don't think we keep watching this I'm, anymore."
0: I'm I do not want to take people through this match because if no. I do, it's going to sound fun and more fun than it is. Like if I told you that in the middle of this segment. Akira Tozawa came in with a squad of ninjas on motorbikes. This might sound like a fun time, but it really wasn't. It was just cringy. Um, it I buried both teams, uh, in my opinion, and just makes... the internet
1: seems to love this match.
0: I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Listen, we were we were weirded out when people were lo- loved the boneyard match because we thought the boneyard match was like really cheesy. Um, this made me long for the boneyard match, like for something yeah. of like well, a Texas Walker walk Ranger quality anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the other... greatest match ever was great, also. Yes. Uh, I listen. We
0: were making fun of this match at the start. Uh, I was saying to you, like, I can imagine them planning this match and like Orton being like, "All right, um, then I'll put you in a headlock, normal length, say two, three minutes, uh, and then you put me in a headlock," you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, standard headlock length, five, seven minutes. Um, And I was saying, like, imagine being able to edit this match, piping in crowd sounds to this match, doing all this after this match, and still leaving in, like, a four-minute headlock. Like, that seems like a strange, strange moment for me. Um, But, you know what? As the match uh, bared on, and it was a 45-minute match, and usually these kind of big, overblown matches, like, let's say, Triple H versus Batista or something like that, these really huge star long bloated matches I don't like them but this match really did build at one point they were just spamming Attitude Era finishers Uh, yeah that was really
1: cool Edge's rock bottom was great
0: Edge's rock bottom Randy Orton hit the pedigree pretty weak pedigree I I was saying that Triple H was going to be pissed because Randy Orton buried both the pedigree and NXT in one week
1: (laughs) totally that's going to be a blow off Wrestlemania match that will go on for about an hour um and with lumberjack wrestlemania match with nxt being the lumberjacks triple h versus randy
0: oh that would be awesome and then everyone just beats the shit out of randy orton <laughs> and slap their legs the whole time yeah uh i have to say i thought it was such a ridiculous move to call this the greatest wrestling match ever especially as a follow-up to what is arguably the worst WrestleMania match ever, which was the edge versus Randy Orton. Again, a match that if I walked you through it and was like, Hey, yeah, they, they brawl in the gym and then they brawl here and then they're on top of a truck. And then he hits them with the concerto. If I walked you through these spots in this match, you'd be like, Oh, that sounds pretty fun. And it would be fun at 10 minutes, but the match was 50 minutes long. I so most of it was, it was just them long. walking like, and like huffing and puffing and stuff. And it was, I was absolutely doing, brutal. I did
1: household tasks as that match happened.
0: Yeah, it was it was brutal, but this Edge Orton match it uh, it it paid off. Delivered. We we gave it an A minus. Uh, certainly not the best wrestling match uh, ever. Probably the best match on this card. Although, like we said, Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley was awesome. But uh, most of backlash was was a wasteland. And I was telling John how it pisses me off that they can pull off a couple great matches at the end because it almost it almost excuses these things. And it's like Vince will never learn if the pay-per-view yeah. ultimately
1: is, like, okay in the end. Well, because the last... Yeah, the last... Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley and Edge vs. Orton was worth watching the show for. And... There's a lot of other wrestlers that we both love in WWE, which is why we continue to watch WWE. Although we made a list... obviously other... We made a list oh, of yeah, all these yeah.
0: wrestlers, and let's, let's start to go through them. Uh, some of our favorite wrestlers. I would say Aleister Black, Shinsuke Sam Nakamura, Zana. Kevin Owens... um, andrade um who else sammy you, you just said sammy
1: i can't think of anybody else <laughs> all right well that's at you least you named
0: most of my favorites none of these people were on this card and now that heyman has gone they pushed Apollo uh, paulo Cruz u.s title match to the mid card or sorry to the pre-show mm-hmm. and i didn't see this match but what i have heard is that in an hour-long pre-show this match ran for seven minutes and it's like, why? Me. why can't you yeah. have more wrestling on your, on your pre-show? You have an hour. Like you could have 30 minutes of analysis and still have like two 15 minute bangers or one 30 minute, like classic, but they just refuse to do it. So are we going to watch another
1: WWE event next month? Do you think? Of course
0: we're gluttons for
1: punishment. Extreme rules. I
0: oh man. Extreme rules actually was a kind of a stellar pay-per-view last year. I just want to say that after backlash, um, Episode four of The Last Ride with The Undertaker uh, started to play. And I watched the first 20 minutes of it or so. I planned on watching the rest, but my internet just kept crashing. I wasn't sure if it was me or the WWE Network. But there was some really fun behind-the-scenes stuff of Undertaker recording early 90s promos with Taker like cracking up between takes and stuff. And it's things we absolutely would have never seen Otherwise, because in the show, it talks so much about how Taker lived his gimmick and always went out in black, didn't do TV show appearances that he thought would kind of compromise his character, more or less missed out on a bunch of stuff that he could have done just to be the Undertaker. So there's absolutely would never have been bloopers like included on. No, there was
1: only like I remember like late 90s. There being only like maybe one or two. Times where Undertaker was even, not even out of character, but just interviewed outside of like a WWE produced thing.
0: Right. And he's just like, fine, good. Yeah, he
1: doesn't really really speak in full sentences. He just says like single word sort of things. Uh, yeah, so I you go watch, to watch the last yeah. ride.
0: Yeah, because it actually looks really cool.
1: I watched some um, of it. That's I feel like they're that's like the best sort of content WWE produces is those those documentaries. They're
0: all good. Oh, the behind those the scene documentaries. WWE are WWE awesome. twenty
1: four, like, three sixty five.
0: Meeting Kevin Owens' parents and stuff is so cute. Yeah,
1: they're really really great. Like uh, the Morrow documentary. Uh, like all all of them are so good. I went back. Uh, you brought up Extreme Rules being good last year. The card is absolutely stacked from last year. Nakamura, the opening match was Nakamura versus Balor.
0: That's what it was. Gulak versus versus Tony
1: Nese. Is this last year? Wow. Undertaker and Roman Reigns defeated Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. What is it? The Dogs of Hell? No Holds Barred tag team match? Oh, Dogs of War. Dogs of War. Revival defeated The Usos. Alistair Black defeated Cesaro, Bailey defeated Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss, Braun Strowman defeated Bobby Lashley. New Day defeated Brian and Rowan, AJ like an Styles defeated Ricochet. Friend.
0: Yes, that's what it was. Man, how much has Ricochet been buried? Main event. That's where he's. That's found. the other guy we didn't mention. That's how much he's been buried. Is we I couldn't even think mention of him. him. Yeah, as the people who are not even on the card. Dude, and he
1: ripped it up in nxt that lucha underground match that thomas showed us that he was in absolutely prince puma yeah
0: i love that i love masked ricochet same yeah that super match was really cool i would love him to come back with a mask because he's been buried so much and just be somebody else and not wear his like wetsuits i have no like i would if i was vince i would have buried him just for that (laughs) just for wearing those weird wetsuit it was like he was supposed to be a superhero or something, but, like, you know what a superhero has is abs. That's what I've learned from all these Marvel movies. Well, if you look like and, Ricochet. Yeah, you are a fucking superhero. If you can do the kind of moves he can do off the top ropes, you don't have to exaggerate that.
1: The last four matches on this card, Kevin Owens versus Ziggler, Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe, and then this last mm. part I don't remember either. Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch defeat Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. And then Brock Lesnar defeats Seth Rollins.
0: Sorry, was Seth Rollins in two matches in a row? Is yeah. Just said?
1: Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch have their Universal Championship and Raw Women's Championship on the line. Oh, and then Lesnar does a cash-in. Cashes oh, in his ca- Money in the Bank. And Lesnar,
0: let, let us not forget that Lesnar last year won the Money in the Bank in a match he wasn't even in. He just came from the back and climbed the ladder and took it, and somehow that was storyline okay. Do you remember this?
1: I do. I don't. I don't understand it, dude. Earlier this week, uh, while I was watching Dark, this is why. This is the other reason why you have to watch Dark. I woke up super early last week and put on Dark, but fell asleep. And then when I woke up, because it was too dark. <laughs> Should have put on AEW light. It was like I think for like f- five in the morning or something. I was like definitely not starting my day. Uh, I woke up then and put on dark, and then when uh, like on YouTube and then YouTube auto played and the show I woke up to was TNA Lockdown 2009.
0: Oh, interesting. What was on that?
1: I woke up to the last two matches, which seemed to be like I mean I went down and looked at the whole. I went back and looked at the whole card. Over uh, the last two matches the though? last two matches the second last match was the main event mafia made up of kurt angle booker t big papa pump and kevin nash my god facing chris daniels aj styles samoa joe and double j jeff jarrett
0: oh i, I love that actually it's like these invading guys versus the homegrown tna talent well, not homegrown. But yeah, I know what I mean. it
1: was a really good match, kind of. I don't know. There was, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way that
0: Nash was good in that match. You cannot tell me that Kevin Nash was good in that match. No, I believe
1: it. no. Big Papa Pump throws down some sick moves, like top rope superplex, top rope Frankenstein,er like right in a row. Um, oh, really? Like back and forth. I wasn't
0: sure if he could still go at that point. Yeah,
1: no. He he's he's probably the best on that team. At, oh, Booker T is good too. Uh, oh yeah, Booker's yeah. always been good. But it it was a fun. It was fun. It was more fun just to see all of those people interacting than it was to actually see the match itself. The match itself, probably like a C. Uh, And then there's a surprise debut at the end. Bobby Lashley comes out, and it's a really big deal. He seems like a monster. He looks terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's fun to watch. And then the the main event of that show was McFoley versus Sting. Again, not the greatest match, but the promo and package was cool to see. Plus, it's like. Mick Foley against Sting in a ring together is just like a very surreal thing to see. I realize that that probably, like in retrospect, that's cool to see. But at the time, it's like, this is why everyone hates TNA. Like, (laughs) why are Mick Foley and Sting both in the main event and not AJ Styles or Daniels or Samoa Joe? Yeah, But yeah, it was.
0: Well, it's an interesting artifact of that time of just these kind of random matchups of like people who are pissed off at Vince McMahon.
1: Yeah, and maybe actually maybe me want to go back and watch more TNA matches uh, cuz they ha- I I didn't watch any of it. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the only TNA I've seen was the one time I went to Universal Studios and saw it live.
0: While we're while we're on still on the first run of Supercards, maybe we should just book a TNA Supercard and do that.
1: Let's do it. Yeah, I think we should. We've done so far Lucha Underground. We have not done New Japan cuz there's too many good matches. So we have I've done
0: WCW. We, I
1: don't know. I still don't know the best way to do a New Japan Supercard. Um,
0: I still think it needs to be very specific. Like, either Okada Supercard or, like, the G1 Climax 2019 Supercard. You can't... Because you can't say what are the best NJPW matches. Like, I haven't seen that all... and I and I already know that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of NJPW matches, I watched... Your classic match recommendation, which was The Great Muda versus Hulk Hogan from Wrestling Dontaku, 1993. Hulk Hogan is in full skull mode.
1: <laughs> what did you think of the match overall?
0: Uh, I thought it was excellent, honestly. Uh, starts out with Muda disrespecting Hogan. Um, I loved having the Kevin Kelly commentary on this. I'm not sure if that's why you recommended it to me because it's on the NJPW website but Kevin Kelly's been going back to all these old matches yeah. and putting English commentary on top of them and it was so invaluable I uh, talked about how maybe the last time Kogan was in Japan he won the Wrestling Grand Prix beating Inoki in the finals so that was very interesting that match just was right a- too yeah, I can imagine. I, I I that's what I thought you were gonna recommend to me, actually, when you start talking about Hulk. I just
1: wanted you to see in more H-Man. Muda matches, because I don't think you've seen that many of them. And no, that, not. this match was such a spectacle of and clash of different wrestlers styles. from such different backgrounds. Yeah, traditions. Yeah, just it's such a cool match.
0: I could immediately tell that we were in different Hulk territory because he first takes down Muda with a really cool armbar, but like he just like jumps onto his arm with his, his leg. And immediately, I'm like, okay, this is a different Hogan. Um, there's a lot more match, uh, a lot more mat based uh, techniques, a lot more submissions from Hogan. Very cool to see. Hey, he grapples Hogan's... in New
1: Japan. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. He's in control for a lot of the match. Uh, one point, Muda crawls under the ring and goes all the way to the other end. Uh, comes out. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, one piece of commentary that stood out was that Kevin Kelly said that earlier in the year, Hogan... The WWE champion had said that the true belt to hold is the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from Japan, which really like raised a lot of eyebrows in the U.S. I find it very cool that Hogan would have said that, like yeah, NXT. totally. And New Japan is the more prestigious title to hold.
1: And even just going back, like that tradition of like wrestlers going to Japan, fighting for that belt, it's still such a prestigious. Like thinking of in recent memory, who has had the belt too. Kenny Omega, AJ Styles, like these huge, larger-than-life superstars, totally. uh, from the West that you know are now the Gaijin. Exactly.
0: Uh, at one point, Muda starts clubbing Hogan with the bell hammer. I oh yeah, that part's legal? Question yeah. mark. Uh, did <laughs> not Japan, refs qualified. decide. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're brawling outside the ring. Uh, Muda gives Hogan a suplex onto the ramp and then runs to the complete opposite end of the ramp, and then runs back and hits Hogan with a clothesline that brings him inside the ring, into the ring. Muda reverses an Irish whip from Hogan, sending him into the corner, and then hits him with a sweet back handspring elbow. Takes Hogan, gives him a backbreaker, goes in for the moonsault. It is not looking good for Hogan. Hogan kicks out of the moonsault at two, but then is hit with a dropkick that sends him out of the ring, Hogan is, he's, he's hurting at this point. Uh, Muda throws Hogan into the barricade and then grabs onto this rope ladder that is outside the ring for the lighting rig and swings into Hogan for a drop kick. Hulk is on the run at this point. Muda hits him across the spine with a steel chair. Hogan's in pain. The ref tries to wrest the steel chair from Muda, which distracts him long enough for Hulk to hit him With an axe bomber clothesline. Now Hogan is fighting the ref trying to get the chair from him, only to be greeted by a green mist from Muda. Hogan's down. Muda's on the top rope. Goes to hit him with a flying press. Hogan sidesteps. Muda's down. Hogan hits the leg drop. That's gotta be it. The leg drop's one of the most protected moves in the wrestling business. One kick out at two. Hogan hits the big boot. And the Axe Bomber, once again, that's the three count, puts down Muda. A- minus for me. Really fun match. Great to see Hogan using his match skills, And like you said, to see him in a, in a clash of styles uh, against the great Muda.
1: I absolutely love his finisher in New Japan, too. The Axe Bomber. It's such a cool name. Such
0: a cool name. New Japan just has the names, for and sure.
1: Just yeah, him throwing down that clothesline with such intensity is so cool. Uh, in recent memory, like Shingo Takagi... His clotheslines, it feels like that kind of a clothesline. Like a lot of intensity behind it. Very, very cool to see. I, yeah, that that match is one of my favorite, like classic New Japan matches. Just for how, like, remember when I first discovered it, just being so mind blown to see Hulk Hogan in a wrestling match like that, where he's totally really using all the skills he always had. And then he just doesn't have to do that in WWF and in the States. So he does. Totally.
0: It's just seeing him in a different context is so interesting. Just from a different lens. And being genuinely shocked when um, Muda kicked out of the leg drop. Totally. I was like, what?
1: There's a great match too where he is teaming with Muda against Road Warrior Hawk and Power Warrior. And he takes a bunch of moves from the Road Warriors of Japan. And it's just so weird to see hawk road warrior hawk throwing down moves on hulk hogan like that's just not totally. something i feel like you would see happen in wwf
0: oh absolutely are you ready for your
1: classic yeah lay it on me man john what is it i'm about to, i can't I'm wait about to, uh give I'm me about the year year 1980, first. 1989 whoa okay
0: you ready uh, for this
1: give me the promotion no okay nwa Oh yeah, I probably haven't seen this. What is it?
0: Uh it is the beginning of the original greatest trilogy in wrestling history. The Best Bout Machine Ricky Steamboat versus The Rainmaker Rick Flair. <laughs> Chi-Town Rumble 1989 for the NWA heavyweight championship. Uh you so the first time I recommended a match because you you talked about how you didn't really like Shawn Michaels that much. So I made you watch the Shawn Michaels-Chris uh, Jericho match from 2008. I was pretty sure you hadn't seen. Uh, you had made an offhand comment about not being the greatest Ric Flair fan recently. And so I thought I would recommend this Ric Flair match to you, which is fantastic. And it also will set up uh, me being able to book a later match in that trilogy into our WCW Supercard. So some of these matches I'm recommending to you are matches that don't quite fit into Supercards that I want to do, but um are integral matches to watch nevertheless.
1: Dude, I am psyched to watch this. One uh one thing that I find myself watching a lot like really late at night when I can't sleep is old Mid-South matches. Oh, and I've sweet. not seen Where do you watch those. I've not seen this. Uh Amazon Prime has uh endless for some really? reason it's like buried on Amazon Prime, but if you search Bro Wrestling on Amazon, at least in the States on Amazon Prime, there's tons of South uh mid-south and like old like Nashville wrestling promotions uh as well. Uh it's cool Very to cool. see. Yeah. Like that Nashville, Kentucky sort of yeah, nineteen eighties uh wrestling promotions. Uh and yeah, it's uh it's something that I find myself. Watching a lot just because I love the graphics, I love the sound, the crackle of the old sort of production is great, so it'd be cool to watch this NWA match, if not...
0: That is actually, uh, thank you so much for saying that, because I actually forgot uh, one of the things I was going to bring up about this match, is that it features career-high work, in my opinion, from three people, Uh, Ric Flair, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, but also good old JR Jim Ross on commentary. Oh my God. Awesome. I give yeah. a lot of shit to in uh, recent days on, on AEW television. I make fun of him a little bit. He for knows the butcher plays bass. He knows the butcher plays bass. He's a little horny sometimes. JR break. Uh, he doesn't know all the names all the time, but he is still the voice of wrestling to me. When I think of commentators, it's good old JR. Cause I watched it in the attitude era and it's been great watching WCW matches and hearing his commentary and it's really great to hear him uh, on on this call on NWA, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts about it.
1: Looking forward to watching it this week.
0: Well, you know what I'm looking forward to—the release of issue four of Torture Racked. Coming which soon, is going to be hitting the shelves very soon. We're going through our final revisions here. I think and, I'll probably uh, post
1: post the pre order before we actually have the the. Oh, nice issues in hand to get a I've a, seen the whole thing and it's it's tremendous yeah thank you for copy editing it excited to have it wrapped up excited to go through it on here also as well
0: totally yeah so next time uh, hopefully we'll be able to take you through some of the articles and just give you a, a little bit of an idea of uh, what's in store for you that's been another episode of Torture Racked you can follow my co-host John F. Malta at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Bamsk, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow Torture Act at Torture Act on Instagram. Thanks for being here, John.
1: We'll see you in the ring next week.
0: Oh, see you in the
1: ring, fuckos. (laughs)